You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the editor and publisher of The Driven. Well, today we've got what I think is a very special episode. Fans of the comedy series The Red Dwarf on the BBC and on the ABC may well remember the character Crichton, the cyborg or robot that got stuck in space for three million years and said over and over, exit only just to pass the time. That role was played by Robert Llewellyn, a quite well-known actor and comedian who went on to find found a um, another series called Scrap Heap, which got a good run on the BBC and started getting people to think differently about things. And more recently, or a decade ago, he started a new video channel called Fully Charged. Fully Charged has become one of the greatest go-to places for people seeking information about electric vehicles, and particularly now with the uptake of electric vehicles in Europe, so strong, and we hope going to be strong very soon in Australia. Robert Llewellyn was in Australia recently and we had the absolute delight to catch up with him over lunch and to record this podcast. I do hope you enjoy it. Robert Llewellyn from Fully Charged. Robert Llewellyn, um, thanks for joining the Driven Podcast. Thank you. No, it's a great privilege. I feel very honoured. Well, look, it's, um, it's very convivial. We, we're, we're sitting there, we're having a glass of rosé from the, from the lovely bottle that you bought and um, it's all very pleasant, so hopefully we keep it roughly under control. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you started out as an actor, you're probably best known for the role um, of Crichton in, in, in Red Dwarf, um, obviously a lot of other acting things. You did your, um, your very popular programme, Scrap Heap, on BBC. How did you find your way into electric vehicles and the fully charged programme? I mean, it has been a bit of a mystery because it sort of, it, it feels like it's just sort of happened. But actually, I mean, I've always been fascinated by engineering, by mechanical engineering, you know, as a child, I love, Meccano, which is for the younger listeners, was it was a sort of construction set. Of I metal remember Meccano, yes. Yeah, with, yes. you know, strips of metal with holes in and bolts and nuts, and, and you could make things, I'd make diggers and cars with suspension and... Well, you did better than me then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I was, I, was, I was a little bit obsessed. I made a three-speed gearbox. Oh, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot of stuff. So I was always fiddling about that. I drove go-karts at a very young age. My brother, who's three years older than me, is an actual engineer. I mean, actually builds cars, builds racing cars, worked in Formula One for many years. So, you know, he actually does stuff. And I'm quite good at watching. <laughs> I'm, but I'm quite good at watching with a sort of modicum of understanding of what's being done, but without the skill set to actually do it. So that was always there, and I, and I was always fiddling about with cars before I did, you know, like before I did Red Dwarf, I was always lying under a car trying to fix it, and then getting a bloke to come along and go tell me what to do because <laughs> I'd done it all wrong. But you know, so there was a natural interest in that, and that found its forte in a sense of doing TV with Scrappy Challenge because that was like a dream job and it was a real battle to get that show on but once it was on it was such a success it was a really joyous uh, experience to do and also in a sense kind of continued that tradition of meeting amazingly skilled engineers and mechanics mm. who could really make stuff out of nothing I mean just amazing way they worked 
and I could watch them, you know, so yes. I didn't have to do it. And I, and I became quite adapt, I was quite good at gas axing, so, you know, using a, a, a gas torch to cut metal. Right. For some weird reason, I'm quite good at that. Welding, no. I won't describe to you the language that was used to describe my welding, but it was very obscene because it was so bad. My welding is not very skilled, but, you know, so I had a go at all those things when I was doing it. But, um, you know, I just loved doing it, and that was really, uh, there were clues. When I look back now, there were some, a guy came to one of the sites we were working on in an electric car, but I can't really remember anything about it, and it just seemed a bit weird, and he was a bit nerdy, and why would he do that? But I could tell it was quite quick. Mm. A, a, an experimental electric vehicle he wanted to show us, and there was a lot of, there was some talk of this, and this, we're talking late 90s, early, not early 2000s, but then in, we then made a, a series in California. We made four, four or five years, we worked in California, making Junkyard Wars, which is the, the American equivalent, it was on the Discovery Channel there. Exactly the same format, but the, it was through that that I started to meet engineers there. And this was like casual conversations mm. off camera, it was nothing to do with the shows. Yeah. We were generally making something like, you know, monster trucks with a sort of seven litre V8 you know, that did a mile to the gallon sort of stuff. Uh, and it, but it was a lot of them were working on pr uh, electric propulsion units, battery management software. So how, stuff. how long ago was this? Or that would be two thousand and one, right. two thousand and two. Yeah. So it was really, and it was what was clear was that it was the computer industry that was driving this. It was coming out of Silicon Valley, not mm -hmm. out of Detroit. No. That was always described. That it was coming out of people who effectively managed laptop software, so they understood how to manage a battery. Yes because you want to get the maximum life out of the battery when you're running the software. Uh, and that was, it seemed, this is me guessing kind of after the fact, but it, that skill set was easily transferable into a, electric vehicles. And it was clearly none of the stuff that I've since learned that was going on, I was exposed to. I wasn't like having lunch with Elon Musk as he decided whether to invest in Tesla. You know, I was meeting the grunts that yep. were actually building it. But, uh, you know, I had a couple of rides in, really early version test vehicles through those engineers and that you know that was when you first go in a i guess it would be a sub four second not to 100k so not to 60 mile an hour in under four seconds in a yes. car that's not making any noise when it's standing on a drag strip before it's, it starts like nothing it's but, extraordinary it's very weird you know the first time you know, that would have been i think that was 2002 i had that also the Prius, I, you know, the Toyota Prius, uh, one of the crew had one and I just went, this is so weird. Mm. Why would you go to all this effort? You know, I'd been driving a, for one week, a, a 1969 Fastback Mustang, which, you know, muscle car aficionados will know is a classic yeah. of, the, of the genre. And also, and the following week, a civilian Hummer. So I wasn't exactly kind of, didn't, don't, no. didn't sound like the Prius type of guy, really. <laughs> and at, at home, I had a, a Volkswagen Golf and an R32, which is a, a ludicrous, the ludicrous Golf, which I loved. You know, it was great, noisy thing, very, very in, fuel inefficient. But uh, the, when I went in the Prius, I, I kind of, it was through going in that and kind of talking to people about that that I then understood about the, what was driving this, which was in California. It's very much driven by Californian legislation, you know, all the stuff we now know about the legislation to reduce air pollution in cities mm. was very much behind that but I kind of learnt that after I'd sort of seen these cars and went, oh that's why they're bothered oh then I understood why Toyota spent billions developing the Prius which I think is a really good I've always thought that was a good bellwether 
car because it was such a commercial disaster for so long. You know, Toyota yeah. invested a lot of money in it and no one bought them for a long time. Has it ended up a bit like the fax machine though, has it? Like it's kind of gotten, you, yes. you know, it's sort of... <laughs> but I mean, it, they've shifted a lot of units now. Yes. I think it's over 14 million worldwide. So, mm. you know, they've done all right with it. But yeah, boy, do they need to move on yes. as a company. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's another story, actually, because it doesn't seem like they are, but anyway. No, but, um, no, yeah. which, is, which is a great shame, because, they, you know, I mean, it was a, a brilliant piece of engineering. I would always defend the Prius, you know, of, of that era, Yeah. because it, it kind of introduced so many people into the notion of an electric vehicle. It kind of was that very first step, you know, because mm. at that stage, I mean, there weren't, there weren't any commercially available ones until, I don't know when the Roadster, what year the Roadster came out, but it would have been 2004. Five, six, something like oh, that. I'm not too sure either, but yes, about it that. Was, yes. It would have been that, yes. and that was prohibitively expensive. And yep. It really wasn't until the Nissan Leaf in 2012, yeah. Yeah. and then the Tesla S in 2013, 14. Somewhere around there. Now, that's, but, um, what, that's when it really changed. Yep. But I mean, I think the thing is that then it, it was a combination of things that got, that certainly launched fully charged as a, as a show, was the the, the televisual technology as well as the automotive technology. The fact that, you know, even say in 1998, the notion of being able to make a TV show that can be watched all over the world, that you could afford the equipment to make it, yes. was comically ridiculous. I mean, yeah. a, a broadcast TV camera, then 40, 50,000 quid, the lens maybe another 100,000 pounds, the editing edit suite, 150,000 pounds. That's what you'd have to spend, and then you couldn't distribute it. You'd have to have a deal with a broadcaster, and it would only go out in one country under extremely restricted terms. Yeah. You know, so it was an impossible thing. And that, over that period, over that kind of ten years, the first ten years of this century, that completely changed. I mean, things like YouTube and Spotify and all those things completely. Mm. So that was as much a part of it in a way that that then you could shoot it on fairly small cheap cameras you could edit it on a laptop you could put a pretty good quality program together very very cheaply and distributed it all over the world which was you know yeah. game changing so how long have you been doing it there how many, so how many since years have been going? 2010 2010 uh, was the first episode so nine years wow yeah. And it was a bit of a labour of love for a while, wasn't oh, it? It was you know, a it's, um, labour of stu utter stupidity. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, yeah, sort of self-funded. I was just kind of passionate about the topic. And I kind of, I wasn't confident that it was, you know, there was no way of judging whether this was another flash in the pan. Because I, I remember the early 1970s in the UK uh, the, during the oil crisis when I would cycle past... 500 cars queuing outside a garage mm. and they were only allowed to buy a gallon each because there was fuel rationing and it all went wrong and the, it was the end of the western world you know capitalism yeah. had finally died and we would all return to a hippie <laughs> agrarian that was, didn't quite work out did didn't it didn't quite work out <laughs> what it did was the capitalism thrived ever more powerfully but that kind of stayed with me, that notion that we could, this isn't a, a sustainable mm -hmm. way of doing things. You know, the, the internal combustion engine and fossil fuel have benefited humanity enormously. There's no argument about yeah. that. But it's time we moved on. Yes. And that, that's what I felt this was the kind of first sign of it. And it was then as, you know, as I made the shows and learnt more about what lithium-ion technology was, how it was developing, how it was incredibly expensive then but it's not now you know all those all the i'll tell you what it was all the predictions that i heard from engineers and scientists in 2010 have all come more than true already 
it's interesting. Is, I found the same thing in, yeah. in, 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 in I've, I've focused on renewables and things like that. And um, you talk to the experts, you talk yeah. to the engineers, and they say the same thing about wind and solar, and everybody else just goes, absolutely crazy yeah you're, you're nuts it, yeah, it's just never you, know, it's too you know but they're kind of interested they listened yeah. because they're going well maybe he's right or maybe he's not but um, yeah. yeah so fully charged so how many people are listening now it's an extraordinary uh I, well we're, we're we're averaging about two and a half actually we've done we've gone over that about nearly three million views a month that's fantastic uh, and what is weird is the first it took two years to get one million aggregated views so it did start very slow yes. and it's really ramped up in the last sort of year or so so it, it, it is it is you know definitely catching on it it continue I mean I don't I, I kind of don't like looking at the figures now in case it stops growing but every time I do check I say, oh my god no it has gone up a lot yeah. so we're adding about five six thousand new subscribers every week so it's kind of growing and that's got i mean the, what's weird about that is there's nothing there's no we don't have an advertising budget so there's no advertising there's no pr behind that it's literally it's got to be word of mouth or what, how it's found and it is all those weird things that youtube do that really beyond me of promoting certain mm. shows and uh, certain stuff so if you look i think if you're on youtube and you look for the the new Audi R8. It's quite possible one of our videos will come up in the side thing right. as a suggested follow-on to that. I'm assuming because that's—I don't know how else it works. Yeah, and and so so how does it look after itself? I think you were talking the other day about um, about fully charged live. Is that, was that yeah. what it's called? And, and that's yeah. kind of been this is like a big open conference that you yeah. had at the Silverton Race Circuit in yeah. the UK, the very famous circuit and yeah. things. So. so that was a big risk. I mean, we were in a there was a terrible dark night in so about about this time last year, where Dan Caesar, who organises the the live shows, who's done lots of um, ex exhibit stuff in the past ex exhibition organizing event organizing and so he's very au fait with that whole thing but he, even he had a thing that i don't think it's going to work we're going to have to withdraw we're going to have to pull it <laughs> yeah it was just like oh it was so complicated to get all the bits to, in order but we stuck with it and we got through it and it was a, a great success which was really good and the, i mean the we did sort of audience surveys that lots of people filled in and they were so positive you know it, 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 it's a marketing dream you know, how many of you would come back next year? And it was like 90, I think it was 94%. So I was quite upset. I, was like, I want to talk to the 6%. Yes, yeah, yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> but it was such absurd high levels. Of, you know, people really loved it. I mean, Dan organised, not me, he, he organised, he got amazing people to talk. So the head of electric vehicles at the National Grid in the UK, who, who's, who's implementing all the charging in the UK, yes. and who's such a brilliant speaker, he's a, he's a really nice guy. And he just is so confident that the UK can manage this. Can do this. Yeah. Yes. And there's, because there's all those stories about, well, you'll melt the grid. Oh, well, let's ask the man who runs the grid. Yes, yes. That's Will right, it melt yes. the grid? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very quick way of killing that argument. Yes. Ask an expert and listen to the expert. Yeah. 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 What does it say? Look, um, we've been launched the Driven about six months ago. And um, I like to boast that we've had about 55,000 um, users, unique visitors a month on the website. Right. And that's yeah. about 10 times the number of people who actually own electric vehicles yes. in Australia. But it shows there's so an interest, doesn't it? It shows the interest. Yeah. Is that what, what's, it, does that what fully charged Yeah, I think so, because well? what we were worried about was that the, like, the, the live show was a kind of real kind of condensed example of that was, I was just thought, oh God, there's gonna be you know, one and a half thousand or maybe 2,000 people who've got electric cars 
that have a lot of opinions, yes. I'm very happy to share yes. them. They're all going to come along and moan at all the manufacturers and the battery suppliers and all. And the there'll be fights are. between the Tesla Club yeah, and the yeah. Nissan Club and things and like that. Yeah. Renault Zoe owners <laughs> will be throwing rock apples at someone. You know, absolutely not the case. So it was about sixty percent of the people who attended don't have an electric car. Wow. Uh, so, which was amazing that 40% yeah. did and there were a lot of electric cars there but it was the majority of people who came didn't have them but were interested in getting mm. them and then you go oh that's why the car manufacturers are very keen because that yes. is an amazing market for them yeah. you know, to, to have that I'm fascinated to hear what you think about the transition to electric vehicles. We kind of, um, we, we talk about in Australia, you know, it's, it's happening, it's about to happen, but it just seems so much like science fiction because we yeah. have so few cars here. In, in Europe, what's your view? How quick is this transition going to happen? And, um, I, I mean, I think it is happening very fast. It's still, it's still a small percentage yeah. of the total number of cars sold, new cars sold. But that, all, that's, all the figures from every European country, the number of new combustion engine vehicles being sold is dropping and the number of new electric vehicles is growing. Yeah. So even though it's growing from a very small base, it's really growing fast. And so it's really a question of when there's sort of sales parity, which I, yes. most people are predicting about 2025 in the UK. Norway, it's already over 50% of new cars are it's electric. So there are yes. certain pockets of extraordinary uh, take up. And I'm actually going on my way to Norway after I'm in Australia to speak. At, they've got their big electric vehicle owners conference which in the UK would be like fully charged like in Norway it's just it's sort of everyone just everyone yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they'll, they'll all know everything and they'll all speak perfect English and it'll be very embarrassing <laughs> but um, but it, you know it's certainly you, it's very noticeable when you drive around you, you, in the UK is the same I mean there's a lot of electric vehicles on the road mm. you do see them all the time mm. the, the charging net infrastructure in the UK is still a, a bit flaky yes uh, there are there are numerous charges that don't work the companies behind them aren't funded or aren't you know because it's a really difficult thing to that transition is going to be hard but it, it is coming so there are now a whole new range of charges that come that you don't need to be a member of or have an app you just pay for it with a, a touch to pay like you can here like you can buy a bottle yeah. of beer here you can buy electricity with it and that is the, got to be the way they go it's got to be yeah. and those are really reliable because those companies are making money from you buying electricity from them. Yes. So therefore, if their charger isn't working, they come and fix it really fast. Yes, yes. Good and good. actually, that, the actual technology is improving, so they're not breaking as much. The early ones were adapted to charge the different types of cable, and they were kind of bolted on the side, and that would go wrong, and mm. little things would go wrong. The new, so it is improving, and it had, but it's been very frustrating for all early adopters you yeah. know, I have suffered. I've ended up at a charger in the rain on the M25 at one in the morning, you know, and I plug it in and nothing happens, you know, and that's, you know, it's very, very frustrating. Well, you could have been Jeremy Clarkson then, couldn't you? And just yeah. sort of said, this is absolute rubbish then, isn't it? You know, so. Yes, <laughs> yes, you see, you've got that. But what is fascinating about him in particular, because I think he was certainly a catalyst in me launching Fully Charged. What, in what, what, in what way? It, it, because they, 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 you know, he's always made me laugh. I've met him a couple of times and he's a very funny guy. He's a great entertainer. I, I disagree with everything he's ever said or thought or dreamt about. <laughs> I'd even be able to criticise his dreams. <laughs> but he's funny, you know, so I, uh, I've always admitted that he's funny. But it, it was, they did a, a show in probably 2008 or nine, one of their episodes, where they drove a, the Tesla Roadster. They mm. test drove it and, and they, lied, they lied about it, which they've admitted, which is fine. It's telly, it's entertainment, it's not journalism, as I've always maintained. 
And I always thought Tesla should just have ignored them, but you know, they've tried to sue them and they failed and it was a disaster. But it wasn't so much that, that's what I expected. But they, then James May, one of the other presenters, drove the Honda Clarity, which is a hydrogen fuel cell car, afterwards and said, this is the future, this is what's gonna work, this is gonna be brilliant. So that was 2009, it's now 10 years later. No. I don't think he's right. No. <laughs> I think we can now honestly say, and he now drives a BMW i3. So he, oh, there you go. He's, got, he's got a great attitude and he's a nice man. But that thing, when I went, that is, the, that is a fossil fuel funded piece of FUD, that yes. whole program. Yeah. So, so fear, uncertainty, doubt. Mm, I don't think these batteries work. Oh, hydrogen will work in 50 years so we can carry on selling diesel. You know, it felt like this is a constructed lie to support the fossil fuel industry, and it, it really got my goat. And that was kind of, I just went, this is wrong. They're wrong. Yeah. And they're dated. And, and now it's really nice because they are wrong. They don't have to make TV anymore because they've made so much money yes. working for Amazon. Yes. And uh, he's still writing about how awful electric cars are, and it's comically bad. Uh, well, it's, it's comically pointless. Yes. Nobody cares. Yeah. The, the interest in electric cars has outweighed yeah. his once enormous weight in that market because a lot of men would have watched that show and gone, yes. they want to be like him. They want to be a cheeky, rude man that says sexist things and people think it's funny. I took a Model X um, down to the, um, the surf club meeting last Sunday down right. here at Byron Bay and I showed it to a guy who's a very prominent writer for the Murdoch media, actually quite funny. He's a perfectly reasonable guy otherwise. Um, and um, he's a bit of a rev head and I said, John, you've got to love this car. It is just so amazing. It's quiet and it's fast and it's luxurious and it's extraordinary. He just goes, oh, mate, I do like the noise. I do like the sound of yeah. it and things like that. Do you think, though, when we get past, when we get past that parity, which we talk about 2025, yeah. do you think there'll be a big holdout because people will want noise and they'll want some stuff coming out of the tailpipe? Yeah. Or, or will we put them on reservations, special reservations, like sort of Silverton on the weekend yeah. and stuff like no, that? No, and I think that, that there, there will be, I reckon in a hundred years' time, there will be men with unusual facial hair <laughs> who like, who've got a hobby that will be driving powerful, supercharged internal combustion engines and they'll be happy and everybody will be think it's fine and they say, oh God, he makes all that racket with his funny car. Because actually, the, the, the other thing I've learned in the last nine years is that automotive journalists are people who think and talk and write about cars mm. and are, will be able to express how that engine sound affects their soul and their feelings. 99% of people who get in cars, not, they're not interested in cars, they're kind of annoying, they break down, they're not reliable, they cost a lot of money, they're always having to take them in for a service, they've always got to buy fuel for them. That's their experience of it. They yes. don't give a toss whether it makes a noise or not. Yeah. It's a very small minority, and it has to be said, of mostly men. I've met some women who love the sound of a, yes. of a throbbing V8, but they're kind of few and far between, and you're yeah. kind of slightly worried for their sanity. But I think you're right. I mean, I think, and I don't think it should go. And it's like, we've got a, an old steam train that runs on the line near us that tourists go on, and it's lovely, and all the men love polishing the pistons. <laughs> And it's great. So there'll be a role for people polishing pistons. Yeah, and for it's so harmless. Years. You know, yeah. one steam train is not going to, you know, what we need to do is get 7 million trucks off, off the yes. road that are diesel and, and 20, 30 million cars in the UK. You know, that needs changing. The, the, the odd V8 is brilliant. 
You must get to drive some wonderful cars in some wonderful locations. It is. It's, that is a thing I never knew that would happen. Yeah, no, it is true. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you kind of don't appreciate it until what's been annoying numerous times is I've been doing the rough cut of the edit once we've shot something. I'm going, oh, my God, look at that scenery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, we've just been watching the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, just, or talking about the, how many miles, you know, we're doing on a kilowatt yeah. hour and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you kind of don't, and you're often there for like a day or a day and a night, you know. Mm. So but we have been to the most extraordinary places with it. That has been amazing. Uh, the, the kind of change that we've seen is that I used to kind of send an email to the PR Audi to see if I could see that, you know, never get a reply. Now it's totally the other way around. I mean, yeah. they are coming to us saying, can you come out to this? Can you test drive this? Can you come here to do that? You know, so that's, that's that has yeah. been very intriguing. And, and very often it's like us and say with Volkswagen recently, it was us and one other German automotive journalist were the only people we were test driving the test vehicle, not even the pre-production. It was really being tested of the new VW. It's got, mm. an, it's got a name now and I've forgotten, but the VW ID. It's like a Golf, VW Golf sized electric car yeah. that is their next car. Brilliant car. Yeah. I mean, it will be amazing and cheap. And what I liked about your, your, your presentations and your analysis and your test drives and things that you explain it in a way that people can understand it. I, I, can, I can understand it and there goes the ro glass yes. of rose. Um, and um, it, it, is that deliberate then? You're li really looking for the mass the Well, mass no, I mean, I think, no, I think it is, uh, 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 I'm almost ashamed to say, but I think it's natural it's because I've only just grasping the basics of it. So I try and explain it in the best way I can. Yes. I know it's been a real revelation working with Johnny Smith, who is the co-presenter, who really knows cars mm. i mean my interest has always been yeah cars the cars are good but it's part of a bigger picture that's always been my thing is that it's not the the, the cars are the kind of disruptive technology that introduce the the plausibility of of changing the whole way we generate and use mm. energy you know that we that there is an alternative to that that you know, the, the, and the fact that an electric car is not fuel agnostic, it can use electricity from anything. So it mm. can, you can charge an electric car from the dirtiest coal plant in Australia, yes. or from a solar plant, or from hydro, or from wind. It doesn't matter, the car will still work. You can only use this one type of fuel in a combustion engine. Yep. And you know, you could say biofuels, but I think we now... Yeah, I think that's the yeah. end. What's been your favourite test drive, or your most remarkable one? I mean... It's, it is hard. I suppose the one that is embarrassing, but was uh, uh, or inspiring, was the the Model S 100D Ludicrous. I had to remember the whole name. So the one that does this really ridiculous. Yeah. I couldn't do it. So I tried to drive it, uh, you know, to put my foot down, and it just frightened the living daylights out of me. I mean, like, you know, I think it's an age thing. I think your balance bones go. Yes. So I think if I was 30, I'd have loved it. But God, it just I couldn't see. Yep. You know, this is sub three second, not to 60, this car. So it's about 2.8 seconds. So knocked about 100K in 2.6, 2.7 seconds. It's terrifying. It's like yeah. being fired out of a gun. But it doesn't stop. <laughs> it's like, if it just did not to 60 and then stopped at 60, no, it carries on. <laughs> you know, it's accelerating about that hard up to about 100 miles an hour. By then, you cannot... It, I, I mean, I think it's insanely dangerous because it, mm. it means on a busy urban road in the, in the middle of London... You could be at traffic lights and you could floor it, not break the speed limit. You'll be at 30 miles an hour in just about a second. 
So there's an old fella crossing the road, and in the time it takes him to blink, <laughs> he's gone. You've hit him. You know, oh. and I just think that is yeah. not good. I mean, people, you know, it's down to the driver being responsible. But, you know, I, I understand why they made, why they built mm. that to show that these cars are faster than anything. And that's what Tesla was all about, wasn't yeah, it? It yeah. was about sort of making them a, a coveted thing, yes. you know, make yeah. it and, and then just work backwards from there, basically. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, well, I had that car for a week. I did the sort of full on where it tell it tells you well, I mean the software is great because it says um, you go you engage ludicrous mode and it says ludicrous mode will damage your motor it will put extra wear on the drivetrain it will wreck your tires it will it will reduce the life of your battery are you sure you want to do it and then it goes no take me to mommy <laughs> or that's one choice or bring it on oh I think and most people are going to press the bring it press on, the bring it on. Yes. and then it goes it goes into oh well that's just, oh, no that's the the Tesla Roadster, the new Tesla Roadster is ultimate plaid, isn't it? So, which is all from this movie, all from, what is it, Spaceballs, or one of those mm. sort of uh, satirical space mm. movies. But that one goes, and the whole screen goes like that, because that's doing sub two second to 60. Mm. And it actually, I mean, I've had, it, it's been verified by an outsider who had a, a sat-nav speed thing, and it mm. does, it will reach 60 miles an hour in under two seconds, which is... Off it's phenomenal. Bed. You actually um, lease or own, or you, you use a Model S, and yeah. um, you lease one. I think you've got another um, a, a Nissan as well, and um, yeah. I think you've, you've you've got a Kona as well. Got a Kona as well. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you about the Kona in a minute, but I'm just interested now because electric vehicles are performing so well. When you're actually just driving around, you just drive it like a normal car. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you kind of settle down after a while, and yeah. it's sort of. I just borrowed a Model X for the weekend, and I was just racing around the place right. as fast as I could and yeah. accelerated as fast as I could because. Because you could, because you could, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, certainly, the first, like, the first elect fully electric I had was a, the iMeve, which I think there's been some in Australia, the Mitsubishi. And the first time I drove that, I had, I was rattled with range anxiety. I mean, I was yeah. sweating. I was thinking, I'm not going to make it. Oh, my God, what did you do? And at that time, there was nowhere to charge it. I mean, this no. was in 2009, I think. There wasn't any charging infrastructure anywhere. You know, it was literally a three-pin plug, a, a domestic plug, which would take hours. So I, I know a guy had an IMEV. Um, he lived up in in Byron Bay. Lovely, lovely man, Robert. Um, Robert, and uh, he moved to Sydney. So we took it down to Sydney. It took him six days. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that would be the. Case. That was only two years ago. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> anyway. So uh, yeah. So that was a sort of experimental thing. But that. But seriously, after that one time, I then would drive it to you know charge it at home overnight, and then I drive it to the shops and back. And then you get used to it. Then you go, oh yeah, no, I, don't, I haven't had uh, even range. I haven't had anything. I don't think about it because. It would do, I don't know what, 80 miles, 85 miles on a charge. And I would most, as most people do most of the time, under, you know, I'm talking miles, I'm very apologetic, I should be in Ks. But, you know, under 50K a day mm. is, in Australia, is the government statistics, yes. that's what most people do most of the time. That's right, yeah. And so, obviously, if you're trying to drive from Sydney to Brisbane in an IMU, then, when you could, it would take all night to charge it. Yeah, yeah. it's going to take a long time. No, that's right, yeah. So tell me, you've had electric cars now for a few years, and look, the big question in Australia is still, well, when do I charge it and where do I charge it? Yeah. And, and what happens? So just give a very brief illustration of what you do. Yeah, so I mean, it's, I, I mean I'm lucky I can get, park cars off the street. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I don't know what the percentage is in uh, Australia, but I would imagine it's quite high, the percentage of households with off-street parking. Yes. That's all, it doesn't have to be inside, it doesn't have to be in a garage or anything. If you can park it off the street, it's easy to charge it at your house. That's the big plus. Because particularly here, if you've got solar, then you're talking with a little bit of management and certainly the new, new charging uh, equipment that's coming out. It's very easy that you just take 
you take power from your solar panels. So whatever your solar is generating over and above the needs of the house, that'll go in the yeah, car and no car. more. Yeah. 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 And so that is, well, that's one way of doing it. Now, it depends when you're charging the car, but if you're charging at night and you, you know, there are, I know people who've got big battery packs that, that they're not at home in the day. Mm. They charge them up with solar in the day and they use that power in the car. So they, mm. that's how they feed the car. Now that's a little bit of a slightly wasteful way of doing it because you're, you're, you're losing power every time you transfer it from one thing to another. But you know, it's doable. Um, but then you, then you want a, a good public charging infrastructure. And the thing that people tend to focus on is rapid charging, which is really useful on motorways. But what is brilliant is say the car park at Coles or Woolies mm. There's one or two examples of this in the UK already. There's lots of examples in mainland Europe where pretty much every car park space has a, a Type 2 connector, wow. 7 kilowatts. Yeah. So you're in the, say you're in a supermarket or a restaurant for two hours, it doesn't fill the car, but it would add 60 miles, so yes. 100k yeah. in that time. Well, you're not doing anything else. You're not waiting for it. That's where you're parked anyway. There's a, a place in Oxford where there are 64 charge points in a, in a car park. Mm. So there's often petrol or diesel cars parked in. It doesn't matter. I don't care. You just pull in the end one. Oh, there it is. Plug the car in. Go and have a meal. We go to the movies, see a mate, come back. The car's full. <laughs> you know, you go, God, that's brilliant. Drive home and you've got more when you get home than when you left, you know. So that's a plus. So though that it's I mean, grazing or, yes. local or destination charging. That's, that, if that's the more ubiquitous that is, the easier electric cars are right. to use. You know? yeah. And that becomes a habit that you stop somewhere for an hour, two hours, Plug it in. Are you a and it's cheaper to install as well. That's much cheaper to install. That's right. Stuff. So are you a um, are you a um, a charge every day man or are you a charge sort of you know once or twice a week? Yeah, definitely. When I first got the leaf, I was a charge every day man, which was not sensible. Now I'm a charge when it needs it, um, which is so it might be half full or two thirds yeah. full, or you're planning yeah. a trip or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. If you're planning, if you know, you know, there was a time uh, when we first got the Kona and I hadn't driven it that much. And I had to drive across the country to do a talk, and I went, "Oh, I better fill it up." We'd never, we'd never, but at that stage, we had it probably a month. We'd never filled it, mm. never got it to us. So I got it to hundred percent. Oh, now I'll only have to charge a bit when I'm out. I didn't charge it at all. I got back, and it had sixty-two miles left, and I'd driven over two hundred miles. You know, I mean, it was oh, well over two hundred miles, nearly yeah. three. Yeah. You know. So the range of that car is amazing, for half the price of a Tesla. Is that why it's been described as a game changer? I think so because it's it's a boring car, you know. It, I mean, because the Kona exists here as a petrol car. Yeah. It's not like th you don't get a Kona if you want. I've never heard of it. Well, yeah, <laughs> no. But I mean, I, we followed one the other day, and Duke, my wife, said, "Oh my God, there's a Kona. They've got them here." And I went, "I think it's got an exhaust pipe belt." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they do, they're, but they're like a generic compact SUV-ish, mm. one with single axle drive. You know, it's nothing spectacular. The, you know, electric cars always accelerate faster than you expect. So mm. if you had a drag race between the petrol Kona and the electric one, the electric one would leave it standing. I mean, yeah. it's much quicker, but it's not like high performance. It, the interior looks like normal cars with lots mm. of buttons and sat-navs sat -nav's not blisteringly brilliant. You know, it's none of those things. It doesn't update over the air like the, There's so many things the Tesla does. Yes. It can't park itself. It can't do auto, autopilot driving, but it's so easy. Yeah, it's easy to park. It's it's got good, vis you know, all those boring things. It's got really good visibility. You can see what's behind you with the mirrors. Oh. You don't need fifteen cameras like you have on your Model X. <laughs> I still didn't get used to that. Yeah. Um, what? Um, well, we're looking forward to seeing that. That should be here in Australia sometime soon, um, next couple of months. 
what excites you about the next the next rollout of EVs? Yeah. Is, is it sort of is it a particular sort of car, or is it the fact that Utes are going to go um, yeah, electric huge. or trucks or, or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think it's certainly the, the, what will happen faster is buses and trucks. So, you know, like in uh, China, they've just sort of gone, oh, diesel buses are horrible, they make a lot of smell, let's have electric ones. <laughs> and they just do, yeah. Yes. So it's slightly different. Because someone said so. Yeah, because someone said so. So no one's going to disagree with that. But, um, you know, they've, they're certainly being introduced in the UK quite a, quite a lot, uh, pure electric buses. And it's such a, you know, it's that thing where you go, oh, I see, it does one route and comes back and then it charges there and it does the same. You know, they're, they're, they're fine. Electric taxis in London. So I think London will be along with Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin, will be possibly con combustion engine free in the next five years in the centre of the city. Wow. Because that's really a big push mm. in, in local government. I think it's cities will lead the way on that. The, I think in terms of cars, the, we're going to see a huge array of luxury SUV scale, heavy, big, long range electric cars that rich people buy. There's loads of them. They're all doing the Mercedes, Audi, you know, Daimler, uh, obviously Jaguar already done it, but they'll all bring those out. But what's, I think, much more interesting is a Honda and Volkswagen at the moment will join Nissan and Renault building mass-produced, mass-market, cheaper, much better range, you know, because the all the technology has improved, the software has improved, mm. the battery management's improved. So you're looking at cars with 250 miles, so what, I don't know what that is, 350k, on a charge for well sub thirty thousand dollars Australian, you know, so cheaper car, so like a golf mm. type thing, mm. but with you know, and once they once those companies start mass producing those cars, all those costs start to come down, and the investment that Volkswagen have made in batteries is, I think, it's forty two billion euros. They've secured battery supplies for the next few years. Kind of because they have to, because yes. they were slightly bad. Yes, they were slightly bad, wasn't it? But do you think our manufacturers in general have finally got it, finally understood I think that the transition I, I, is on? I think they they're have. Not, not burying this in the, in the, no, in the bottom no, no. drawer anymore. No, 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 absolutely not. No. So the number of like new compliance cars, which I think is such a great term, because it took me a while to understand. But you know, there's government legislation in a state or a country that you have to do this, and they go, oh god. So they make half a dozen, mm -hmm. and then everybody loves them, and they go, oh, God, what pain. Go, yeah, but really, no, look at the new Touareg with a four-litre diesel engine. That's what you want to buy. So that, I think it, we've seen the end of that. I think they are now mass-producing. Hyundai are doing a great job with the, all their range of cars. You know, and they're designing cars that can be electric or petrol or hybrid or plug-in hybrid or you know, mm. diesel or, in Hyundai's case, hydrogen fuel cell. But they're covering all those bases. But they're clearly pushing the electric ones more. The problem, I think, that all manufacturers, all traditional manufacturers, other than Tesla, have, is their their legacy. I mean, they've got this massive legacy of production plants that make diesel engines by literally the million, that employs tens of thousands of people, that has a kind of system that operates seamlessly and means mm. they can produce them really cheaply. Well, that's really hard to change that. Is it? Yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. It, it, it costs a lot of money. And that really, the only people who've done it in a really huge way are Volkswagen because they've had to, yeah. because no one's buying diesels. Right. So their sales have fallen off the cliff. So they're not going to make them anymore. Yeah. You know, they will stop making, they'll stop making combustion cars by 2025 or 2027, somewhere around mm. there. None. They won't make any. Right. So they'll all be electric. And that's a huge company. 
with yeah. an enormous global manufacturing base, which they're converting over. So all their factories in Germany, as of next year, I think, will only make electric cars. So that's a huge, that is a massive change, which I really didn't see coming. Mm. And I think the, the final thing I want to say is the ownership model. I think electric cars lend themselves to rethinking the ownership model because we're, we're perfect examples. You know, I have three cars. I mean, admittedly, two of them are leased, but, you know, I have three cars. Well, unless someone's nicked one, none of my cars are being used at the moment. Yes. And it's a stupid waste, and I'm paying for them, and there's no, they're not being used. They're not doing anything. So you think this shift, I mean, Tony Sieber from Stanford University yeah. has talked about this shift to shared ownership yeah. and to, I mean, this, he, he, he sees this tying in with um, autonomous driving. I mean, do you, do you see that sort of thing happening? I mean, I think, I think in my lifetime it's going to be possible. I think there's going to be fully autonomous zones. I think you'll go into a city like Seattle or maybe Sydney or maybe bits of London where it will be only autonomous vehicles in, mm. in you know, that might happen in my lifetime, but it will be very restricted. But I think it's not impossible in my lifetime that there will be, uh, uh, I don't know what we could call them, hybrid autonomous, so that you order a car in your house and somewhere, from somewhere, a car drives to your house, no one in it, no steering wheel visible, wing mirrors folded in. I've seen, I mean, I've seen versions of this, it's sort of prototypes of this, pulls up outside your house, doors open, you get in, the steering wheel appears, you drive. It's your responsibility, you're insured to cover it, you're fully responsible for the vehicle at that time. Because that removes one of the hurdles that autonomous cars face, which is if there's someone in the car and there's a dangerous situation outside the car that it has to choose between the yes. people saving the people in the car or saving the people out there, it's in a difficult situation. Yes. If it, if it doesn't have anyone in the car, it can just wreck itself. It can even like literally blow itself up. <laughs> So it doesn't hit the child that's run out on the road, you know, yep. it could, or it could put in huge anchors into the road so it literally stops, it tears the car to bits, mm. but it doesn't kill the baby, whatever the technology yeah. would be. Whereas if it's got someone in the car, it's got an impossible decision to make. Yeah. As, as to, yes, you know, Because yeah. there's all these arguments about it. But actually, when you think about it more carefully, the autonomous cars I've been in can see other cars when we can't, when a human being can't, like round the corner, it can tell what, what, how fast that car's going, which direction it's going in, and is it going to stop? And so it can slow down before any human being could possibly achieve that. So we, it, it's a hard thing to judge what that is. But if you don't have anyone in the car when it's driving itself, you remove a huge yeah. amount of those. These are more legal than technical yes. problems. And, that, and that's going to be the issue, isn't it? It's going to come down to those legal all and those ethical problems yeah. and, the, and the insurance. Yeah. Um, I think my one wish, though, is that if I am in an autonomous car, I just want to be looking backwards. Yeah, I don't yeah. Want, to yeah. want to be looking what's going on. It is a weird experience. I mean, I've never sat behind the wheel of an autonomous I've been a passenger in a few, and you just see the guy you know, with his arms folded, uh, yeah. Uh, well, actually, brilliant engineering. That was Volvo a while ago, but a very funny engineer had a Swedish newspaper as the Volvo. This was a, a, a Volvo that tr follows a, a truck. So that has a professional driver in, as they described him, but it follows it like five centimetres behind. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and so that you just follow the truck. So it's a train. So you don't have to drive. The car becomes very fuel efficient. It's, and then they can make like loads of them all join on. But that engineer was holding a newspaper but it was he was, <laughs> doing, this, he was doing shaking like I am, and he was going i'm very calm i trust the technology so swedes have a sense of humor but that car well, that was amazing how when you see that how that technology works so the 
I mean, this was on a closed road in on, on the Volvo test site, but the driver in the truck put his brakes on. I didn't see the lights come on, but we could see the brake lights on the truck. Our car slowed down very, very suddenly at the same time. Yes. I mean, you couldn't, no, no human, Lewis Hamilton would have run in the back of that truck. <laughs> no one could react that fast. No human being could, could put the brakes on as quickly as that car did. So it's one one hundred thousandth of a second. It can register from the software in the truck that the brakes have gone on. Wow. So it basically puts the brakes on at the same time. It's going to be such a different future, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So some of those things are very exciting. And I mean, that, it's just the, 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 the end result of what autonomous cars mean. It's not we own an autonomous car, so we still have the same number of cars. We could all have access to cars exactly the same as we have now, you know, get, get in them when we need them, but we'd need 80% less cars on the road. Because yeah. for most of the time, the, all the cars we own aren't, aren't being yes. used. Everywhere you go, in, I mean, everywhere I go in Australia, I always look at it. There's loads of cars parked outside houses. They're not on the road, thank God, because if they were, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere. But. Sell your investments in car parks right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or buy car parks and convert them into lovely apartments. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Llewellyn, uh, thank you very much for joining the Driven Podcast. Thank it's you. It's been a real pleasure. No, it's been fun. Thanks a lot. And that was Robert Llewellyn from Fully Charged. Delightful character, fascinating insight into the world of electric vehicles. And I am so, so, so envious that he's got not one, but two, but three electric cars and just about to get another one, all of which I want. And I hope one time to get, although maybe not four at a time. Anyway, I hope that we all get to have electric vehicles in Australia sometime soon. The models are starting to arrive. Hopefully more come by the end of the year and over the next couple of years we'll see that price falling. And then whammo, we get to price parity and onwards and upwards we go. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. We'll be back again next week with another episode of The Driven Podcast. And I would like to thank our sponsor, Zero Mo. Do check out their website. Do check out the equipment that you can borrow and have a loan. Test the electric world in gardening and other, other, other tools and farming tools. That's all for now. Bye-bye. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by ZeroMo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. ZeroMo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.